So I forgot to mention that the size of your meal at lunch determines the quality of wakefulness in the afternoon. So we'll see how you do. I was going to start with the meditation, but I think that would just become a nap, (laughs) which would be okay, (laughs) because I just took one, but um, time is short, so I'm going to change up the schedule a little bit. So I want to talk about some strategies and ways of working with the critic, and then we'll do some practice, and then we'll do some meditation once we've actually enlivened ourselves with how to work with the critic more practically. This is a poem from Sufi poet Hafez. You carry all the ingredients within you to turn your life into a nightmare. Do not mix them. Do not mix them. A little bit of critic, a little bit of comparing, a little bit of deficiency, and... You have all the genius to build a swing in your backyard for the divine. That sounds like a hell of a lot more fun to me. Let's start laughing, drawing blueprints, gathering our talented friends. You carry all the ingredients to turn your existence into joy. Mix them and mix them. Mix them and mix them. So partly what we're doing this afternoon is some ingredients that will be helpful to you to orient you a little more towards happiness and joy. So, if you think about how you normally deal with your critic, your usual strategies, which may be a non-strategy, for a lot of people it's just agreeing, Um, the usual strategy uh, falls And I I pull this work, as I mentioned, um, that quote from Almas, who's the founder of the Diamond Approach work. And one of his teachers, Byron Brown, wrote a really influential book called Soul Without Shame. And I I invite you to look at that for more in-depth work around the critic. It's the particular school of thought that I align with. There are different schools of thought, which I'll mention in a minute about working with the critic, but I feel most akin with that, with that approach. Soul Without Shame, Byron Brown. And so in that, the language that he uses that describes mostly the way that we interact with the critic is we engage it, as in we engage it in a dialogue and we usually lose. So the, the, the main strategy we do employ is we rationalize. We, we feel defensive, and so we rationalize. So maybe you, um, uh, you know, did something horrible to somebody. You shouted, you reacted, you got mad, you said something mean, you put someone down in public or whatever, you know, all the different ways that we can do things that are not so skillful. And, and then our critic, of course, is right there, you know, ready for the next sling. And 
uh, is on our case about something, and we respond with, "Oh well, well but I'm I'm a really a good person. Look, I was really nice to other the old lady helped helped her walk across the road, and you know I sent money to charity, and you know I'm I'm really trying, and I'm a good person, and oh, shit." <clears throat> When we rationalize, most of our engaging strategies means that we um, we engage in dialogue with a critic, which means we've already given the critic status, we've already given it authority, we've already given it existence and the time of day, which it doesn't necessarily warrant. I think one of the the the, the principles or the criteria for success in working with your critic is it doesn't bother you anymore. As Ram Dass once said about working with himself and his stuff and his neurosis, he said, it doesn't really go away. It just gets smaller and smaller until it sounds like a little yapping dog. <laughs> now it's like, mm, yeah, it's, you know, you'd rather it wasn't there, but it's not a big deal. And that's sim- similar with the critic, that it's not necessarily going to go away. It's going to come up when we do things that will traditionally uh, trigger it. You know, so whatever we do in a way that's acting bigger than we're supposed to be, or louder than we're supposed to be, or whatever, it will, it will trigger it. But what's key is how we relate to it. Whether we're affected by it, or whether we're bothered by it, whether we care that it's there. So I know when I do certain things in my life that it will trigger the critic. It'll just trigger the very predictable, I can't believe you didn't return that phone call. I can't believe you missed that email thread. I can't believe... Um, And my first response usually is, so I roll my eyes. It's like, oh, please. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Is that all you've got to say? Because they're predictable. You know, you hit a play button and out comes the tirade, right? It's just the same old stuff. So it's, it's just like watching a really boring repeat. That would be a good attitude for the critics. Like, oh, really? Please. Thank you. Anything else? <laughs> Go have a nice day. Go bother somebody else. So it's just it's an attitude of dismissiveness and disinterest. And just a bit more like Teflon mind, just you know, washes off. Rather than evaluating how you're doing with this work in relationship to whether it comes up or not, because you don't have control over whether it comes up. We don't have control over most things that come up in our lives, in our inner lives, in our emotions, in our thoughts. They just things come up out of conditions, who knows from where. But we have some relationship over, we have some skill or some capacity about how we relate to it. So one of my favorite lines from Viktor Frankl who said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. So between stimulus, in this case, it could be uh, the critic, and how we respond to it, there's a space. In the space lies our power and our freedom to choose our response. In our response lies our freedom and happiness. So we have a space. There's always a moment of choice. It doesn't seem like that most of the time because it's so quick and habitual. 
So, so we engage, we try and rationalize and defend and prop ourselves up, which we're always on shaky ground because we've already given the authority to the critic. We counter, we counter attack, we kind of blame and, and rail against the critic, but again, we're doing it from a somewhat defeated place. Or we believe the judgment, we believe the criticism, and we collapse. We feel defeated and demoralized. So we absorb it and we go into a fog, into a sink, into a deficiency. Or we judge ourselves for judging, judging ourselves for being bothered. So um, two different styles of working with the critic. And I'm going to read this as a quote. One is to treat it as an enemy to be ignored or dismissed or fought against or overcome. I wouldn't say that's exactly right for this particular school of thought, but um, it's really the understanding that the critic is an aggressive mechanism that's, that becomes an attack on our well-being, attack on, our, on our, the goodness of our nature. And in, in doing so, just as the analogy I gave of, imagine your friend was following you, you around, you would experience the judgment like an attack, like someone was out to get you, right? With meanness and hostility. And so you wouldn't necessarily just invite them in for a cup of tea. You know, you'd say, you'd say it's, you know, you would thwart the attack in some way. Just as if someone was doing that to a friend or your child or your spouse, you would step in and say, hey, this is, really, this, is really, uh, this is really mean, this is unskillful, this is not helpful. There must be another way to be here. The other school of thought is to treat, it as the, treat the critic as a misguided ally, to be befriended and transformed. So this is um, really um, more, the more lo- uh, loving approach, you could say. They're both loving approaches. One has more of a wisdom flavor to me. One has a more... Um, compassion flavor, um, and so the work of voice dialogue, internal family systems, um, other approaches uh, attempt to help the critic um, or seize the critic as a distorted um, uh, part of ourselves that's trying to help us but in, in a dysfunctional way. So I kind of I, I blend both approaches because I think both are helpful at different times. So in terms of working with the critic, the first thing um, is to bring it more in awareness. So this is where the practice of mindfulness, mindful attention comes in, where we're simply learning to recognize when a judgment's happening, which is also acknowledging the difference between a judgment and a discernment. So we're clear when, the, when, when that judgment has some negative flavor or has some negative impact on us, makes us feel bad, crappy, worse, deficient, less than for some reason. Different than evaluation, which I talked about, or discernment. So we want to we we really be conscious every single time, we won't catch every single time, but to, uh, to have that intention, I want to know when I'm judging versus when I'm just idly thinking or commenting or evaluating or discerning, I want to know, I want to really see the, how this and how frequently it operates. So um, to name it, to name it every time you're judging. Oh, that's a judgment. Going out, going in, both. Just a simple name. Oh, judging, 
judging, judging. This is a note we, we teach in mindfulness practice, just to, to make a note, judging, judging. And you might be saying that a lot in your day. <laughs> judging, judging, oh, judging, 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 judging. <laughs> hmm. And then to see how much you've, how you've allied with that voice. Are you, are you completely consumed by it? Is the, is the judging voice in the I language or the you language? If the judging is in the I language, it means we're more identified with it than the you language. The you language is a little more separate. So, oh, you're such a jerk, is, is you language, whereas, oh, I'm so pathetic. So this, to see what, what, what language your judge uses and how identified you feel with each particular voice. So what mindfulness is doing is, is helping us create a space to see just like we do with thoughts and anything else that comes in our experience. We, we're seeing that we, awareness, whatever that observation process is, is not that, is not consumed by the judge or the thought. So there's some space, of, there's, some, there's a sense of like a third party observation, a neutral space of awareness that can see these things just coming and going. And it's, the que- it's a question of how much they stick and how much they land is when they cause suffering or how they cause suffering. So, you know, for fun, it might, it's useful to um, play with counting your judgments in a day, <laughs> which may sound like an arduous practice and you might run out of numbers, you know, you, just to count them. Please, see how many. 743, 921. At some point, it just, you just have to laugh. It's like, oh, really? <laughs> Another one? <laughs> and we're probably only catching one out of every 10. <laughs> so you can always multiply by 10 just to get the real number. And again, it's creating that space, that distance between you and the judging process. Writing them down, just like we did today. Getting them out of your stream of consciousness into the, into the written word and bring a more objective evaluation to them. I should have made this decision. Well, I didn't. Reality is reality. It would have been better had I made this other decision. Well, maybe, but I didn't have that information at the time. That's a decision I'd made. There's a replacing practice where you just simply either replace or add on a neutral phrase after the judgment. So I used to do this a lot when I was on meditation retreat. I would be on my case about my meditation or my mind. Or, and I would just add the words, sky is blue. Sky is blue, grass is green, and I'm hopeless. And sky is blue, and grass is green, and it's pathetic, and sky is blue, and... But just adding, one, a reality statement, two, words. To see, it's just words. It's just more thoughts. So I think it's more powerful to do that with a meta phrase, a meta statement. Can't believe I was late for the meditation, and may I be happy. Can't believe I'm late for work, and may I be peaceful. Can't believe I forgot my up at the meditation hall at the meditation retreat may I be happy like why not 
It's free. <laughs> and it makes you feel better. And it's a habit, right? So the, so the, the, the critic has just developed deep neural pathways, and so we want to supplant those neural pathways with more positive, wholesome, life-affirming ones. And, and the meta practice is a way of doing that. May I be free? May I be free of my judge? May I accept myself completely? Just you know, maybe start writing a list of, of as well as your, your judgment list. Write out a list of things you wish for yourself in a very, in a genuine way, and then you just call them to mind as you go through your day. Very easy. Doesn't take any time. You can sit on the bus, driving your car, doing the dishes in the shower. Start saying some phrases and, 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 and saying them in a way as much as you can genuinely. You don't have to feel it, but you can say it genuinely. Important to understand whose voice it is. Whose voice is this judgment? Is this mom? Is this dad? Is this the Pope? You might laugh. (laughs) Is this God? Is this biblical? Is this my siblings? Is this my school teachers? What does this voice? What does this voice sound like? And sometimes we know. Sometimes we don't know. Sometimes it's very clear. Oh, I remember hearing this voice. You're bad. You know, you're wrong. You're too big for your boots. That's what they say in England. If a child has any life force, you're too big for your boots. <laughs> Children should be seen and not heard. But they become norms. They become. You know, we we often. We'll laugh, we'll often um, uh, make fun of, not, not, yeah, we'll sort of make fun of those statements as if they're okay, but they're really actually quite damaging. So whose voice does it sound like? And sometimes what I understand about this process is it's often not what we were told, but we internalize the way our parents talk to themselves. And they may, it may not have been verbal, but we know this is just passed on, right, generation to generation. So children are incredibly um, absorbent, um, absorbing, and so they absorb the culture. And so often what I'll see is, is people just absorb the culture of, the, of their environment. So often our parents and grandparents and whatnot hard on themselves. And so we just internalize that, even if even if we do, we don't understand it cognitively, we don't need to. You soak it up. So the other side of that, not the other side. I'll, I'll go through the list that I've given you in a minute, different strategies, and then we'll practice them. But the, 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 the more compassionate side of things is to feel the impact, as I said this morning, feel the impact of the judge on your heart and on your body, on your well-being. Like to really let that in, like feel how it is to talk to yourself, to dismiss yourself, to be rejecting. And having compassion for our humanness. The, com- the critic is devoid of compassion for our humanness. It's, 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 it's black and white. It's, it's, uh, this is acceptable. This is unacceptable. If you mess up, you're bad, you're wrong. And there's a sense of rejection in it. 
This is from the poet Kabir, talking about humanness and spirituality. Friends, please tell me what I can do about this world I hold to and keep spinning out. I gave up sewn clothes and wore a robe, but I noticed one day that the the cloth was well woven, so I bought some burlap, but I still throw it elegantly over my left shoulder. I pulled back my sexual longings, and now I discover I'm angry a lot. I gave up rage, and now I notice that I'm greedy all day. I worked hard at dissolving the greed, and now I'm proud of myself. When the mind wants to break its links with the world, it still holds on to one thing. We're human, and in even our spiritual life, that comes through big and strong as it should, because why not? We're human. And we need to have compassion for our quirky, wacky, strange, peculiar selves and all the different things that we get caught up in. I remember when I, I, I was uh, I when I first got into Buddhism, I was young. I was just about nineteen, and I was very um, headstrong and idealistic, and uh, had very fixed ideas about what being a Buddhist meant, which I was actually really meant being a Catholic Buddhist, <laughs> uh, English Catholic Buddhist. <laughs> who was sort of up, uptight, dour, and righteous, and very obnoxious to be around, <laughs> and very down on himself, which was completely antithetical to all those different things I just mentioned. <laughs> and it took a long time to, you know, and I, the critic really influenced my spiritual life. You know, I should do this, and I should be like that, and I shouldn't do that, and I shouldn't be. You know, I was a punk. I was wild. I mo- white mohawk and made my own clothes, and I was very passionate. And, and, I, and I put myself into this box of what I thought being spiritual meant, which was complete BS, because being spiritual is about being a human being in its fullness, not tying itself into some box. And so I sat, you know, I squelched myself for years in a very painful way, as we can do with our with the odd ideas, and, and then if the critic is behind some of those ideas, it, you know, it's guaranteed to end in suffering. So at times, um, compassion isn't all nice and warm and fuzzy, it's also very fierce. Right? The compassion that, that, that stands up to injustice and uh, cruelty and hatred and harm is a fierce compassion. And that's very as true externally as true internally. So with ourselves, sometimes we have to be fierce with the mind, fierce with our critic. And we say no. We say enough, enough, enough. And sometimes that approach is appropriate. Sometimes we can, in our mind is going on and on and on about what we didn't do and what we didn't say and how can we messed up and we rehash the same thing how many times? You know, 10 times, 50 times, 100 times, 10 years later, still rehashing the same. I can't believe I let my mother down when I... Da, 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 da. Enough. And, we can, we, and then we, can, we can bring that firmness to our mind. It's like, stop. Stop. Put it down. And there's a place for that. Doesn't always work. None of these strategies work all the time. We have to have a a bag of tricks. But at times, we have to bring as much fierceness with the 
critic as is coming at us. Sometimes a critic is very intense and aggressive. And we have to say, no, stop. Stop. Back off. Not true. Not helpful. Enough. Right? There's, a, there's a kind of a, um, there's a power in this energy. It's a self-protective energy. So you may, and, 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 I, and actually often when I work with people, this is the first energy that's needed because people are so swamped and smothered and asphyxiated by the critic that the first has to be a little space. Like you have to like get the psychic critic back enough so you can actually breathe and see and feel and be with yourself. And that takes... Uh, clarity with the critic of saying, no, no, not not now. I'm trying to have this experience. I'm trying to do this thing. I'm trying to write this piece. Stop. Just be quiet. Not useful. Go bother somebody else and have a nice day. You know. And sometimes it will look a lot less pretty than what I just said. Right? Someone said in, in the break, um, he said, I find myself saying the critic, shut the fuck up. And I said, that's a completely appropriate statement. <laughs> At times, to say, you know, not with anger and aggression, but with, no, stop, enough. Right? So many of you will probably need this kind of energy to, to create some space. And, I, and I, you know, I, I work with one of my teachers, and still, the, you know, the credit comes in and in very subtle layers, and it's like, no, I move that voice out so I can actually do my inner work, do my inquiry. So, um, to remember that, that energy, because, because often the feeling of depression that comes from the critic is like the stifling of the life force, and it's the life force that says, no, no, this is not, this is cruel, this is unwise, this is painful. You know, there are other strategies you can use from the compassionate perspective of feeling into the pain of the critic, feeling the pain of that, the constellation of that part of our psyche, to feel the pain of, the, of being sort of at war with ourselves. We can feel into well, what's what's actually trying to be said here. What what's what element of truth in here that might be useful that I can take without collapsing and making thinking I'm a horrible person for it. It's also interesting to look at what happens when the critic comes back, because sometimes you may go through periods where the critic's just not that strong where you do your work and it's sort of like, oh, lick that one, next. <laughs> Got rid of my critic, I'm so good. <laughs> and then out of the blue, you know, it comes up and reasserts itself and there's that, oh no, I'm never gonna be free of this. See, I never really do anything fully. <laughs> Whatever story. Right? And we just, you know, we just do our work again. So, in, the, in your worksheet that I gave you, some strategies for working with a critic. It's 
So we'll just go through them. So the first is, I, I mentioned some of these. So naming them, observing. If you ha- don't have a sheet, anybody not have a sheet at the back there? Should be some on the back table, I think. So the second one, um, this is an interesting one. Uh, speaking of the truth. Um, so sometimes just saying, ow. Like when someone is talking to us in a conversation, they say something that's really mean. Just to say, ow, wow, that really, that, that was really hurtful. You don't have to argue it or like logic explain why. Just like, ooh, you're just, you're just speaking the reality of the moment. Ow, ooh, that's really mean to talk to myself like that. So you're shifting the attention from the judgment to your inner experience. Humor, as I said earlier, is a really useful way of um, disidentifying. And uh, so when I was on a retreats, uh, during these long retreats I was sitting, my critic was particularly strong. I would imagine my critic as this English judge with those big silly gray wigs (laughs) and with this hammer and bad meditator. (laughs) And there's something about hamming it up like that that really made it easier to poke fun at it and to not be so, you know, caught in it. So whatever way you can you can make fun of it, light make light of it. Um, so exa- exaggerating it is one way to do that. Oh yeah, I'm really the worst meditator in the world. Yep, that's me. Mm-hmm. I failed. And again, that, that that can help disengage, or you can you can actually believe it, and then that's not so helpful. So if you really believe that you're the worst, then that doesn't work. But if you can, you know, blow it up, because often we're afraid of blowing it up. But if we just like, yeah, let's make it as big as yes, I'm really just the worst child there ever was thank you anything else (laughs) well actually there is another thing Uh, agreeing with it so again this goes against uh, strategy the main strategy which is trying to um, rationalize and say no I really am a good person I really am nice and we just go yeah yeah I didn't yeah I was really horrible to that person I really let it rip with that customer service person United Airlines I, I just little, got the end of my tether and I let them have it yeah sorry that shit happens you know? I was mad right so we agree with it so we're not trying to trying to prop ourselves up just yeah, yeah that was mean that was hurtful yeah yeah I'm a slob yeah it's true yeah thanks anything else and you just said so this Tai Chi movie you just kind of you because the, the critic, the, the, the psychic, the intrapsychic mechanism of the critic often seems to want opposition. And when you just say, mm, yeah, you're right, yeah. And I'm, I'm bad at tennis too, yeah, 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 I'm terrible at tennis, yeah, yeah. Anything else? Deflates it a little bit. Uh, disinterest. Showing disinterest. Or really inhabiting disinterest. Thanks for the advice. It's really helpful. And then we move into some of the more, the f- moving into more fierce, you're challenging the authority of the judge. Who are you to judge me? Who's giving you the authority to preside over my value? Or just to say, stop, enough, no thank you. And then the replacing practices, the meta, the neutral phrases. May I be happy? 
compassion for yourself, compassion for the judge. I wonder how many of you, I imagine some of you heard this um, called Autobiography in Five Short Chapters by Portia Nelson. And it kind of describes our life in a way. And it's, this is good, good fodder for not feeding the critics. So I walk down the street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I don't see it. I fall in. I can't believe I'm here. I'm lost. It takes a long time to get out. Chapter 2, I walk down the same street, the deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in. I can't believe I'm in the same place. Still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I, I see it. I fall in. It's a habit. I know where I am. I take responsibility. I get out immediately. Chapter 4, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5, I walk down a different street. So we're slow learners, is the point. (laughs) And mostly we hang out in chapter 3, which is, I see that thing, that stuff, that argument I get into my partner every time they do. I fall in, I can't believe I'm in the same place. It's a habit, right? So even when we see it's a habit, we still fall in. We still go down the same trap with our hands in the freezer compartment, picking out the Ben and Jerry's pint of ice cream. It's a habit. We know that's not going to make us happy. Well, it might do temporarily, but um, it's not going to resolve our feeling of deficiency. Um, habits. And so it's compassion for our humanness. So, where do we go from here? Well, we want to practice these strategies. So I found this, when I started doing this work, I found this to be the most liberating part of working with the critic, is I would have, so you, the, how it's structured is, somebody takes the role of your critic, and you give them your list, your top 10 list, or you just give them one, one judgment you'd like to work with. And that person um, becomes the voice of your judge, and will repeat your judgment back to you and you have to defend yourself against it. Find some way to deflect it so it doesn't land in the usual way that lands that creates a sense of deficiency and collapse. Right? So, the, so the way that you know you've worked through a particular phrase in the moment is it, it doesn't, no longer bothers you. Right? So start with an easy one like, can't believe you still haven't washed your car. <laughs> so who would like to be my critic? Just for, just for this exercise. Someone up for the front. Would you like to be? <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. Okay, so my judgment is, I can't believe you still haven't washed your car. So you say it to me, and then I'll, I'll respond back. back no, you, you just say, you just be the critic. I can't believe you've, you haven't washed you're the car. You're terrible, you're so late. <laughs> 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 you're good. <laughs> Let's start with the, just the... the, the <laughs> And then you can, you can em- embellish as we go along. Start, so you start with the verbatim of the judgment. So in this case, is I can't believe you still haven't washed your car. I say that back. 
You say that to me. Yeah, you, you're, you're the critic. So you're saying to me, you're, you're pretending to be my critic saying a judgment to me. I can't believe you haven't washed your car. I know. I can't believe I haven't washed it either. I can't believe you haven't washed your car. Yeah, you're right. I haven't washed my car. I can't believe Oh, please. Really? <laughs> you got to keep it coming. Oh, I can't believe you haven't washed your car already. Shut up. <laughs> I can't believe you haven't washed your car. Oh, stop. Your car. How come you haven't washed your car? You sound like my mother. <laughs> <laughs> your car, you got to have a I know. I love my car shiny. What's up with that? I think I should hire somebody. <laughs> Terrible. I'm like the world's worst, dirtiest car driver. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. Good job. Um, <clears throat> so, different strategies. You just play with them, right? There's different. You can thwart, you can agree, you can say no, you can shut up, you can laugh, you can tease, you can. Right, all these different ones are here, and you and you and you have your own. Let me just see before I go on. Um, any other strategies that people use that you find helpful? Uh, yeah, I am. Defending strategies that I didn't cover that might be useful. Yes. It's not a strategy, but the critic is loudest when I'm either trying to meditate or trying to go to sleep. <laughs> when I'm trying to meditate, the strategies of talking back to it defeat the med- meditation. Uh huh. Because I'm just trying to like let it float over me like a cloud. Right. It's, it's a very cloudy <clears throat> day. Can we get a mic here? It's raining and boring and I'm still meditating. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> so the, you're okay now, but uh, the comment is um, these strategies, like particularly if going to sleep or in meditation, they tend to stimulate, which they do. Um, so in that case, you just want to use a strategy that's a little more passive, like noticing, floating, sky is blue, matter. Yeah. But when, you, when, when you're not in needing to you know, sleep, then you use a more active strategy. The critic? Yeah. yeah, it's very tenacious. <laughs> yeah, it's very tenacious. Yeah, at the back. So, other strategies you might you find helpful? Right. Uh-huh. So, so getting to the getting to the truth of what's underneath the statement, like instead of being not washing the car, it's lazy. And then writing down actually what's more true in, in response to that accusation that you're lazy. <clears throat> yes. And then, oh, and then the other thing is that um, sometimes my critic is just like over the top and I'm depressed or whatever. And then <clears throat> I actually don't do any of these things, but I sort of am, go around nice people <laughs> or something that's distraction, which is probably the opposite of mindfulness, but just to kind of get my brain out of that space temporarily until... Yeah. No, that's a, that's a different style of work and I think it's relevant and that this came up somewhere earlier today or which is around um, 
how do you fortify yourself? So that th- these these are like working in the moment with the critic, but then there's other things that we do that you know that are basically taking care of ourselves. Whatever we what, in whatever ways we take care of ourselves, we're going to be in better shape to deal with these difficult intra personal intrapsychic things, which whether it's sleeping or eating or being around good people or meditating or all that stuff. I like what you said earlier, uh, evoking kind attention. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure associated with the heart practice, but just evoking kind of a, um, a more objective, slightly removed um, sense of, of watching the pain mm-hmm. and, um, and feeling kindly toward it. Yeah, so bringing a kind awareness. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there's a couple hands over here to the roadway over here. Coming. In the front. Okay. Um, I guess it's a form of agreement, but I, I just say to myself, oh, that's not ideal. <laughs> and, that's, and just move on. Uh-huh. So saying that's not ideal. Uh-huh. Good. One thing I do is close that oh one thing i do is i i say to myself that's old story that's not my story mm-hmm. and i also con- i image my little one what my and i comfort the mm-hmm. little one who originally heard those old mm-hmm. stories yeah. and say i'm here it's okay you're safe mm-hmm. nice so comforting the little one who first heard the stories i like that yeah so hands down by the side Um, critics also write positive reviews sometimes, and uh, I try not to get sucked into those stories either, or believe those. I, I think some of these techniques work to to not get too vain or too proud. You can use use these techniques to defend against a critic that you might and the, and the, right the critic that's inflating you. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, so what I'm going to suggest you do is, again, we get into pairs, either the person you're with before or somebody else, and um, you're going to um, look at your list or come up with some other one, and you're going to you, you're going to give the statement to your partner, whatever it is, you're lazy, and your partner will, just like in this exercise, will say that statement as you said it. <laughs> And then, um, to, and then you'll you'll defend against it, whatever whatever statement or whatever phrase you can use, and you you just keep doing it um, until the person who's defending says, "Okay, I've, I feel like that's either as I too much, I can't, it's too painful, I need something easier," or it or it um, there's a sense of deflecting it. So you're looking and you're really paying attention to your body because the sense of not being caught, you feel it in your body. When we're caught, we kind of collapse and we're, ugh, like it goes in, it's like an arrow in the heart. When, when, we, when we can sort of deflect it, there's a little more lightness and space. That's kind of what we're look, looking for in terms of criteria. So you, you know, the, your person repeats it um, five or ten times, see how you're doing, and then you switch roles. So... Um, the one who was, who was being the critic now is the one who practices defending. So important to remember, this person is not your critic. <laughs> right? 
And at the end, we should do a little shedding just to d- dispel that notion that they're actually helping you see your critic. And there's something about working with it live that, because you know, eventually you just have to you have to go away and do this on your own. But it's helpful to have another person supporting you um, and 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 acting like your critic to help you really learn real time how to defend against it. Does that make sense? Any questions about the exercise? So we'll do this for a little while, maybe (coughs) 20 some minutes and I'll check in with you, um, see how you're doing. So please turn to a partner and In fact, let's all stand up for a moment and just kind of shake it out. Shake your arms, shake your legs, shake your booty. Just kind of shedding that, whatever, all that critic stuff. Should put some music on. That's really what we should do. All right, good. You are not your critic, and you are not my critic. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I was enjoying how. <sighs> so, did you survive? <laughs> Your critic was mean. I noticed. I noticed there were there people started leaving the room. <laughs> 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 it's like too much. <laughs> She'll never forgive you. <laughs> yes. Comments, observations. Can we have a mic, please, Virginia? Um, there are lots of levels of this in my experience. One of them is. Um, not having it between between me and myself, mm-hmm. and having a witness that um, gave me a chance to witness deeper into my own process of like if one of those sentences I just felt like now I mean it's really sad it's upsetting, <laughs> um, and going into the emotional connection with those sayings. Mm-hmm. Um, but to have a chance to share both roles was fascinating for me. Yeah. Um, and just feeling the sort of the, the sensation of all those places that I don't want to feel when I'm in those places. Mm. So I can feel the body releasing um, what's behind that for mm-hmm. me. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, good to feel the releasing in the body. Yeah, so yeah and, also, and also good to, as you say, to you know, there's something about ex- where this. A lot of this day is externalizing it, right? We're ext- getting it out of our heads onto paper, into the room with another person, having another person witness. Right, it's all helping get it out of the shadow. It's amazing. You know, get, get from the from the darkness. Yeah. So um, it was really interesting to do this exercise. Because I found I actually just kept engaging and arguing back. Uh-huh. So <laughs> my 
um, I asked him to say to me, why don't you get up earlier? And I actually would keep saying, because I'm tired, because I'm a working mom, because I can't. And he's like, well, what about these, you know, coping mechanisms? And so I said, oh, I, I cannot even do these. This is so unnatural for me. Mm-hmm. So I think that was, um, that was really interesting. I just kept arguing back. Uh-huh. <laughs> and also going into the, your default mode, right? Which in this case is, you know, arguing and rationalizing and which is fine, but it doesn't unhook the critic's claws, that, that, right? So did you, did, you, did you get further than arguing? Yes, I said I'm the laziest person ever. All right, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> Good for you. And how did that feel? Funny. Funny, yeah. So, did, so it released, right? A little bit? Right. <laughs> But good to see how that strategy unhooked it. Right? That's what we're looking for is that, like, oh, yeah. Because like, we're, not, we're not arguing. It's not rational. We're not getting into an intellectual debate about your worth or your laziness. Or your, it's, that's, that's where we go, but that's not the point. That's not what works. Good. Yes, who has a mic? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, it's, it's, I found it hard to be uh, as... Uh, as mean to my partner here uh, as I would be to myself. I mean, you, good. I mean, there are <laughs> well, <laughs> very good. I, know. <laughs> I, I mean, it's a nice person. You just, it's, it's really hard to be uh, uh, that critical to somebody. Mm. But you're serving them when you are. That's the point. I should have said that more in the beginning. You're serving them to be critical because we are that we know. I just was having conversation in the office, and you know, nobody talks to us like we do. You know, we would divorce them in a second if we, someone talked to us like we talked to ourselves, right? So we're helping them by being that kind of vociferous voice. Yeah, but and it's hard. Yeah, yeah, it's not easy, not pleasant. <laughs> but don't beat yourself up for being a bad critic. <laughs> um, behind you. Um, So something that my partner and I, we very quickly bonded over was that we have a mutual uh, shared fear of failure, and we were trying to attempt the compassion for our critic, and we found that very difficult. So yeah. we were wondering if you might be able to talk a little bit more about that strategy. Mm. Yeah, it's not one of my preferred strategies. I include it because it's, it's part of the, you know, the body of work that's out there on the critic. Um, the compassion is really for, it's really for the suffering that the from where that place comes from. So it may not be to the critic voice itself, but from the place where you know, that voice is contracted and it's, it comes from messaging that's been internalized that was painful and restrictive in an earlier time. So it's a young self. So it's compassion for that, that whole painful dynamic. Um, so, and some people find it helpful to visualize the critic and, and wish compassion, or from the origin, from where it came from. Yeah, and front. <clears throat> Just to piggyback on that, we talked a little bit about possibly trying to forgive, forgive the judge. Mm-hmm. So then you just stop judging the judge; you just forgive it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, if it works, it, you know, whatever works is my motto. So, if it works, if you can forgive, great. Yes, Lily? 
Um, this is more of a, a question on a strategy because sometimes you, you beat yourself up um, for something that, you know, maybe because of your values or whatever, like you let yourself down or you let somebody down. I don't know if we consider this to be a good thing to do, but saying, okay, you know, okay, you know, the critic goes, oh, God, I can't believe you did that. Like, I can't believe I didn't clean my car or whatever it is. And coming back with, yeah, I, I, that was bad, but um, it's okay because um, I'm going to do it tomorrow. Or, you know, I mean, I'm not kidding around, but, uh, you know, I did do a bad, like admitting. is, is we, we, You hadn't talked about sort of admitting, yes, I did a bad thing, but... Um, that's agreeing, similar. That's agreeing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not okay. a good strategy. But, but no, no, it's okay. No, it's okay. Oh, oh okay. It, de- it, it, it depends on how you use it. Okay. I wouldn't add the piece about doing it tomorrow. That sounds like rationalizing. Okay. Who cares whether you do it today or tomorrow? And like, it's not. It's not the critics. Who cares? Like, it's giving too much time a day to the critic. But maybe it was something. It was really important. You know, that you whatever it was, you forgot to do something that was important to you, mm-hmm. and so therefore you you could say you you know you have your values of what's important, mm-hmm. and so you you let yourself down, and so. I was just thinking it might be say okay okay I, I admit you know I let myself down that's true but I'm going to make better on it being, being sincerely but you know I'll as long it. as you're not doing saying that to the critic okay you're saying it to yourself okay like I screwed up yes I'm going to take care of this tomorrow and you be quiet over that thank okay. you very much I see right you're not doing it to, you're not appeasing the critic that's okay. giving the critic power right. you're doing it to yourself it's okay. a really important distinction i understand thank you yeah and of course we you know we make those resolves like oh yeah i really blew it and i'm really going to show up tomorrow for the person i let down great good right. but not for Got to it. make this one happy because there's no appeasing this one i see thank you right yeah. who's next this lady in the front um, I found I was able to, I kind of automatically went to humor, which is, um, I mean, I was doing it with my sister, and we like to laugh a lot, so that was part of it, but in my own life, with my own critic, I have never been able to do that, so mm-hmm. I think it gave me a chance to say, oh, I can be lighter mm-hmm. about this, not so serious, and just, yeah, so yeah. That, it helped. Humor is great. Yeah. Yeah. Really. I think it's my preferred strategy. Yeah, Monty Python came up once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, interesting how to do. How is it to do it with with sisters, with having grown up with maybe inherited the same kind of critics? As yes, yes, yeah, <laughs> you did. <laughs> yeah, so good, good to practice with each other because you know what it's like from kind of from the inside. Yeah, good. Yeah. There's two, two or three people. Yes, whoever, just whoever's I can't. I guess I was wondering, sometimes maybe I would never wash the car. Like, there's some part of me that's sort of attached to the critic because the critic makes me get the car washed. Uh-huh. This is not really part answering your question, but, you know, that there is, I, I'm so adjust, like, attuned to it that I'm, I sort of appreciate the nagging in a way. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, and this is, a, this is a reason why we keep it around because we, we believe that we need its encouragement and cajoling and nudging and berating and nagging to get us to do something, which might be true, you know, but it's not the healthiest way to get it done. You know, there are other parts of our psyche that can motivate us mo- more than, uh? <laughs> what would that be? Um... Like for my instance, my car. Like I really enjoy my car when it's washed. It's really, it's like it's much, it's much more aesthetic to me, you know. And so it's it's more being pulled by. Oh, I, yeah, I, I, it's actually it's a nice thing to do for myself. I enjoy it more. 
you know, it's like that. That's a better motivation. Than, oh God, like I, you know, what are people thinking? And I should have a nice, clean car. Like all that stuff. That's that's not really going to inspire me. What you know, I move by inspiration. You know, maybe it takes a lot to inspire me with a car, but it, you know, that's what. A, yeah. So I think, it, but that's an important point that we. There are many different reasons we hang on to the critic, and w- one is we th- we believe it's our voice of conscience. If we didn't have a critic, we would not stay on the straight and narrow, right? But we do have a conscience that's much deeper and wiser than the critic, which is more primitive. And, um, yeah, lost my train of thought. Ha ha. Um, yeah, so, and, and, and then the other reasons why we hold on to the critic, yeah, we won't do any stuff, we won't clean up, we won't take care of business if we're not always, always needling. And, and it's important, if that's the case, to find other ways to... Um, uh, inspire or encourage ourselves because that nagging just like being with someone who living with someone or someone uh, work or family's nagging we'll, we'll eventually get it done but it's a very unpleasant way to get there for both both sides <coughs> yes over here on the oh yes you have a mic what we we found is we had a couple of the same I'm sure a lot of us shared some of the same voices or things but on a couple of them, we had the same one, and we both said, we just said, no, it's not true. I mean, it used to be true. We used to think that, but it's not true anymore. It, some of the things that we wrote down on our list are habit, and when we put it out there, it's like, well, it's not true, and, and I, I had no force behind it, so it was almost like we dismissed it. it. It wasn't fighting back, it didn't feel like. It was just like, no, that's not true. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that was nice, too. Yeah, good to see that there's some. Things are just old habits. They stay around. And then in the cold light of day, especially with someone else, you just go, oh, that's not true. That's not who I am. And then boom, gone. Not, not to say it won't come back, but again, you bring the same, hmm, it's just not true. And it's gone. It doesn't, and it's Teflon. Um, yeah. I was kind of dreading um, um, getting the criticism, but when I did the exercise, I found that the, the most surprising thing for me was the person reflect, being the person reflecting the critical statement over and over again. And it was really, really painful. I felt like I was like verbally bludgeoning this person. And then I kind of had this realization. I was like, I've been talking to myself like this for years. And it, was, it, was, it just seemed like, like I would never do that to somebody else. And yet I do it to myself all the time. And it, it started to kind of take on an air of ridiculousness after a little while. And that was actually very helpful. I didn't anticipate that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, great to see. Really good insight. Yeah, behind you, Virginia, is a hand. Raise your hand. Uh, so I also decided to enlist humor and um, enlisted one of my film heroes, The Big Lebowski. And so there's a point in the, the movie where somebody says something particularly not helpful to him, and he says, well, you know, that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> and of course, that just sort of cracked me up when I started saying that to my judge about me being lazy. That's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great. You know, whatever, you know, whatever works. And, I, and it's true. When, when, I, when I'm talking to my critic and I, and I say thank you for your opinion, it's the same thing as saying thank you for your point of view. It's a point of view. It's just one point of view amongst many. And if we take that point of view to be reality, we're miserable. And it's really a point of view. You know. 
interpretation. Yeah. So some over here. On the floor. Um, this is um, not quite from the exercise, but um, I uh, was thinking about it during lunch and have this sense in general that um, um, I kind of feel sorry for my critic. Um, and I'm quite sure I did when I was very little. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't sound at all healthy, but um, you know, like, like who's gonna who's gonna be the critic? Is gonna be lonely, right? If I leave, <laughs> and um, I do really think that that's very very young um, attachment, you know, uh-huh. to a very unhappy parent. Um, but I still carry it around. Um, and I noticed in the exercise that uh, right away I was very combative. You know, like, I'm already doing this, I'm fine, I don't need you, blah, blah, blah. But the other side of that is, oh, you poor thing. Um, and I think I, um, I'm better at the very clear just stop stuff now. But I think I don't let go of the, you're going to be so lonely when I leave. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I mean, but I think it's really real. I mean, Mm -hmm. in my imagination. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, again, it's it's why it's important to to know where the voice is coming from and to understand the origin, in this case, your mom. Um, And to feel the compassion around that. Yeah. yeah, I'll just throw... Yeah, whoever... Or mom or... Who, yeah, wherever that voice was coming from. Right. Yeah, I had two very critical parents, but... Um, okay, I thought you... Sorry, I thought I heard you yeah. say your mom. Whoever uh-huh. said, you know, holding the little one mm-hmm. really rang a bell for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the midst of the... Yeah, and so maybe actually it's feeling compassion for the little one who had that burden of having to take care of your parents. In that way. Yeah. So, so holding, holding her as she's holding that responsibility, which is way too much for a young child. But clearly, you felt it for some reason. So, feeling the compassion now—that that will, I imagine, soften and dissolve some of that. Yeah, all of you. Yeah, nice. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yes, in the front here, lady in blue. It helps me to use nonviolent communication with my critic. Uh-huh. And so thinking tell of us how the, that goes. Yeah, like the statement that every attack or whatever is a tragic expression of unmet needs. Mm. So sometimes I might say, wow, I, you're feeling really frustrated. I can hear that. And you're, I see that you really want me to be successful. Or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And just seeing, okay, what, what's the need behind that? It doesn't work in every situation, but in some, it really actually works incredibly well for me. Mm-hmm. And I have some compassion for that voice. And I see, oh, yeah, that voice, it wants me to be successful. Or it wants me to be happy or peaceful. And just, you know, maybe you could learn to express that in a kinder way. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, mm-hmm. but the, the need is maybe true underneath all mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. And you do that in general or you just did that today? Um, both. Both. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 I like that. Yeah. 
That's good. Yeah. Other questions, responses in the front here? Um, yeah, mine, my critic, like so many different personalities showed up in that little quick exercise. Um, tried so many different ways because I actually have gotten a hold on some of, um, I've been able to uh, recently get into a little bit different, a little bit healthier relationship with some of the really common things that it's been telling me. Like, you're kind of a fuck up. You really haven't got your shit together. You, you gave the example of you're 48 and you don't have your shit together. And I was like, oh no, that's me. <laughs> um, but I've been, I've been with that a little more successfully lately. I've been kind of with the strategy of just back off, give me space, because I'm, I'm. Because if if I don't make if I don't get space, I'm really not going to make a change. Hmm. And so it's kind of like one step. So that was working, but then it it kind of went to uh, it. It gets just mean, and like then I start to then I could feel myself fighting with it, hmm. and then I and then I start to collapse. Like oh yeah, you are kind of right, and because it got to just this abstract, you're just fucked. Hmm. There, there's it's there's something wrong mm-hmm. and it's so abstract and then there's like wow there's something wrong with me with my life and there's like a shame mm-hmm. that and then i didn't i didn't have a strategy for that one mm-hmm. except just i think the answer in a longer is really what i'm discovering is really holding mm-hmm. with compassion the part that feels, I mean, uh, it's very young. Yeah. 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 Yeah, beautiful. So sometimes, as you say, we go deeper than the content. We go deeper than the verbal to the emotional to sometimes the pre-verbal to the sense of, as you say, like the, the, that's why the book is called Soul Without Shame because the, the nature of this dynamic is to make us feel shame. And as you say, beneath that is this fundamental sense of being wrong, or something's missing, something's deficient. And in, in, with with that, the only the only strategy is compassion, is awareness and kindness and compassion. Just to, to holding holding yourself in that place, because then because you drop, but that, 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 if you can drop into the compassion, you're dropping beneath the attack, and you're just feeling the core state from where. The wounding is, and where these these judgments arise from in the first place. You know, either the fear of being wrong and being bad, and what that means. If I'm bad and wrong, no one's going to love me, right? And I'm going to die, which is true. As children, we could. So feeling that just very profound, you know, and it's probably not even you. It's probably not even yours. It's probably intergenerational. You know, sometimes. Um, we can have memories of being in the womb, feeling these profound feelings. It's not our feelings. You know. It's our mother's feelings. You know, it's, it's, it's intergenerational. And not to put the blame anywhere, there's no blame. There's just this stream of consciousness that's carrying all these painful, deep you know, woundings and emotions. And sometimes we pick them up and we come we come into this world feeling like we're fundamentally wrong. Where did that come from? You know? 
but it's it gets, often feels like it's in there. And this, you know, just holding that with compassion, with love. And there's wisdom in the love that's that's saying that's not true. It's meeting that feeling, but also going somewhere deeper that's like that is not ultimately who you are. You're not ultimately wrong or ultimately bad. That's not your nature. But it's, it sounds like you know, we can touch those places that like these very deep layerings, very early layerings, which are hard to get at cognitively because it's pre-verbal. We feel it, shame, as something not right, as something that's off, feeling out of sorts. Um, yeah, and so yeah, the deeper the deeper work and the deeper healing is really just with love and compassion, kindness. It's like you're doing, you put your hand on your heart. Mm. Loving that young part of us, that young structure. Yeah. You know, in that way, you know, the critic is a gift and it takes us back to ourselves. So we come whole because we, we split from ourselves. And the, the critic is really just a mechanism of splitting from ourselves. It's a way we self-abandon ourselves. You know, we all have this chronic fear of abandonment because that's real and yet the real abandonment at this point is with ourselves right and we abandon ourselves in many many ways partly because it's habitual and conditioned and so practice you know in that the phrase we use of coming home to ourselves it's really real in that we're coming home as to not abandon ourselves which is our deepest work how to stay here in these really dark, difficult places with love. So, thank you. Uh, let's just take a breath. Take a moment to see what's here in your heart. You are listening to all these different layers, different levels. You know, and to feel into that this work is asking that we learn how to love ourselves on a very profound level. You know, and the, the voice of the critic is just one example of what can take us away from ourselves, what take us away from settling in and being with ourselves in a very profound way. So I want to read a poem by Marie Howe who knows how to write about this level of pain. So she's writing to her brother, who 
has died of AIDS at the age of 28. It's called What the Living Do. Johnny, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there. And the drainer won't work but smells dangerous. And the crusty dishes have piled up waiting for the plumber I still haven't called. This is the everyday we spoke of. It's winter again. The sky is a headstrong blue. The sunlight pours through the open living room windows because the heat's on too high in here and I can't turn it off. For weeks now, driving or dropping a bag of groceries in the street, the bag breaking, I've been thinking, this is what the living do. And yesterday, hurrying along those wobbly bricks in the Cambridge sidewalk, spilling coffee down my wrist and sleeve, I thought it again, and again later when buying a hairbrush. This is it, slamming the car door shut in the cold, what you called that yearning, what you finally gave up. We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want whoever to call or not call, a letter, a kiss. We want more and more of it. But there are moments, walking, when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass, say the window of the corner video store, and I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep for my own blowing hair, my chapped face, an unbuttoned coat, that I'm speechless. I am living. I remember you. So this journey is about coming home to ourselves with love, with kindness, with acceptance, with forgiveness, compassion for our struggles and our foibles. And if we can remember to take a pause, a sacred pause, and breathe every time we screw up, every time that we forget to do something, every time that we do something we're ashamed of, and just pause before the critic's onslaught. So we can just soften. Oh yeah, I screwed up. Oh yeah, I forgot. Holding that with some kindness forgiveness rather than judgment. So I'd like to lead us in some loving kindness meditation.
I'm aware that some of you might need a bio breaks. If you do, please feel free to go, but otherwise stay where you are. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.